Iowa everywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. Score! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great year. Let's go blue. Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes. Review. Yes. Yes. Heartland flags. Every sport. Every team. Every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport, every team, every flag. Almost. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seed Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, Iowans everywhere. Welcome into episode 11 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Chad Leistico here. I am a longtime sports columnist of the Des Moines Register who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I'm joined, as always, by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. He covers the Hawkeyes and the Big Ten. Uh, we are giving you an early week edition of Legends and Listeners today from the Channel Seed Studios with plans to take our own partial bye week with the Hawkeyes off this weekend after a 12-10 to 10 home loss to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Scott, the end of the first quarter wave, uh, end of first quarter wave to the UI Children's Hospital is one of the greatest traditions in college sports, but on Saturday, a late fourth quarter wave will go down as one of the hardest to swallow moments in Kinnick Stadium history. Uh, welcome. Three days later, Scott, where do you stand on the overturned punt return touchdown by Iowa's Cooper DeGene? Well, right into it, Chad. Um, I, after reading your uh, submission, uh, reading what you wrote yesterday from uh, the, your discussion with Bill Carollo and NCAA head of officials, and then talking to the uh, head official from the game on Saturday, 
I've come down to the conclusion that the rule is too ambiguous to be enforced and it needs to be changed. Um, I think it's the equivalent of whether or not you use your turn signal in the correct amount of space, uh, whether it's 300 feet, 400 feet, 200 feet. Um, the, by rule, it is a correct ruling. However, in real life, and, and this is where, you know, what is a catch was a big deal in the NFL for several years. And I think it's the same thing here, which is if you get 50 people in a bar and you let them vote, all of them push the button, yay or nay, is that a fair catch? Uh, my guess is 98% would say it's not a fair catch. So I think this needs to be streamlined and corrected in the off season. I'm not, I'm not straddling the line here, but uh, it, what's unfortunate is it took away, as you said, one of the greatest moments potentially in Kinnick Stadium history. Yeah, I was, I had this later on in my list of, of stuff to discuss, but maybe let's talk about it now. I mean, I was thinking some stuff that came to mind for me was like the tuck rule, you know, stuff like that. Like seriously, like, uh, you know, judgment calls that, you're perplexed about, you know, um, I wrote about the Caitlin Clark technical foul, which mm -hmm. was a, a situation that got changed in the off season, pretty much as a result of, uh, again, officials using, I mean, you could, a judgment call that maybe is again, a letter of the law type of deal, but, uh, did it delay the game? You know, did Caitlin Clark's flip behind her back delay the game? Not at all. The ball bounced right back on the court. It didn't hit anybody. Um, didn't, you know, wasn't uh, unsportsmanlike, uh, you know, in at least in my judgment. And I think, again, a 98 out of 100 in a bar type of, of situation. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, that was disappointing to me. I mean, someone else brought up like the Pine Tar game, you know, George Brett, yeah. another example of like, uh, oh, you waved off that home run. <laughs> now, of course, they picked that game up in progress. I don't think that's possible in this case. But honestly, um, well, I'm sure Iowa fans would like the game to be picked up in progress at seven, at sixteen to twelve, and put Drew Stevens out there to kick the PAT with one twenty-two to go. But uh, yeah. anyway, that's kind of where I am. I think it's all on those lines, and it's really, uh, it is very unfortunate. And we will get into the comments. Uh, that it, you know, I got yesterday, and, and we're going to talk a lot more about this. But I guess that's where I'm at. It's, it's just a real three days later. I really haven't. I don't want to say gotten over it because you know we're not fans, but it, it's still unsettling to me just because I like. And when I consume sports, I want fairness. I want justice. I want the right calls to prevail. And unfortunately, I, I do not think that we saw that happen on Saturday. I'm there with you. Um, the more. You know, I mean, in the spur of the moment, you know, we, we you get caught up a little bit on the play and then all of a sudden, you know, but but we're reporters first. You know, we're not we're not there to cheer. Obviously, we're not there to do anything but report the news. I wrote pretty straightforward Saturday night not to really make it a this was a horrendous call or this was the right call. But this was the call. And here's why. Right. And right. I know that's kind of where you were yesterday as well and talking to a couple of officials and they believed that it was strong enough that they needed to come out for this. Um, but then I come back to, is this the right one? And you brought up great examples. I look at Des Bryant in 2014 against green Bay. Was that a, a catch or was it not a catch? And did it hit the ground? You know, Calvin Johnson against the bears, uh, you know, even before that, I think there's just, 
uh, the, when sports jurisdiction becomes ambiguous, then it becomes a real problem. And when you look at end of game situations, games that take away great plays, um, defining plays, season defining plays, then I think then that's when um, you have to assess, is this the correct ruling? I mean, you know, what, what is he waving for? How is he waving? I mean, I think everybody recognizes that if he would have went like this and then picked up the ball and ran, then that's, that's no good, you know, but to, to circle <laughs> with your, you know, with your left hand and point with your right based off, you know, remember what happened to Iowa and to him at Penn state, you know, a, a, a wayward punt hit his return, you know, one of his blockers in the back. And I think that's really where we're at with this, that, um, it's not coming back. <laughs> There's no return to, to sender on this play. But I think in the future, this needs to be, you know, relitigated, if you will, and changed because it's just, again, you know, if you've got somebody waving their arm, I mean, that's that's just a wave. And if he gets hit, he gets hit because they tackled him. I mean, they tried to tackle him right from right. every time he touched the ball. So anyway, I'm... I'm disappointed overall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and speaking of waves, you can always wave your flags. Uh, we could wave our Chicago Bears flag this week, Scott. Uh, yeah. Agent number 17 leading the Bears to a victory against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, maybe it's time to bust it out. Uh, and then in uh, light of our title sponsor, Legends and Listeners is brought to you every week by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always has fresh products Nearly every sport, every team, every flag. Still time to get last minute Halloween uh, lawn decorations. Trick or treating is in my town on Saturday, so uh, I, at least I'll be home for that. I guess uh, the weather looks cruddy, but still, lawn stuff works. Visit our friends, good our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at thirty seven nineteen Southwest Ninth Street in Des Moines. Uh, yeah, Scott. Uh, for you know those listening, we we did move our show up to Tuesday, and our plan today is to tackle three topics. Two of them uh, regarding the Hawkeyes at length, and then one in the Big Ten toward the end. Um, so let's continue the conversation on uh, this punt return and discuss some of the comments yesterday from Big Ten coordinator of officials Bill Carollo and NCAA Secretary of Rules editor Steve Shaw. Uh, they both jumped on a, a Zoom call yesterday that I had for about a half hour. A little background how that call transpired. Um, as I read the rule, Scott, uh, over the weekend and talked to a coach about this as well, uh, I did not believe the way the rule was written that the play should have been eligible for review. So I took that up with the Big Ten Conference. Uh, the, the the rules say that fair catch, a fair catch and run signal is reviewable, but they did not call this a fair catch signal. They called this an invalid fair catch signal. So this that uh, I did not believe that that was reviewable, at least the way it was written, and I wanted at least clarification on that. So that was part of the the – precipice i was surprised when um you know i was given a, a half hour with them and they, and they did bring andy greeter of the saint paul pioneer press on as well um as he had questions about it too and i think it was good to have an iowa reporter and a minnesota reporter on there frankly but uh uh in hearing from them it 
they did not say they made a mistake. In fact, they said it was the correct ruling. And here are a couple quotes, Scott, that I wanted to at least dive into. Maybe we can get into all these. Maybe not. We'll see what we have time for. But uh, here's what here's what Bill Carollo said. Uh, and I'll read a few things here and I'll get your reaction. OK, uh, he said he's not waving to the Minnesota players to get away. He's instructing his teammates to get away, which I, obviously we agree with. The point without the wave is legal. He's communicating to his teammates where the ball is at so they don't back into it. If you look at a ground video of it, you might say this doesn't look like much of a wave. But if you look at the high uh, view over the top, he's actually waving. No one stopped. But if the hand, I put the, the he didn't say the hand, I put that in parentheses, is moving at all, it's going to slow down the kicking team player because they know he can't return this. Whether it's invalid or valid or whether it's valid or invalid, I should say, the rule book says he can't return it. Um, that was kind of a quote I feel like Iowa fans really uh, latched on to saying, you know, you had to go to an overview camera to determine that it's a wave. Uh, none of the Minnesota defenders are in the, uh, you know, hovering above, levitating above Duke Slater Field. So, um, again, my I don't believe that this was indisputable, as Tim O'Day told you after the game. I don't like it. I don't like that at all. Uh, because I do agree that when you're talking about looking above and indisputable, I mean, that's uh, that's like taking an angle at the, you know, whether or not somebody got in the end zone or not. And you could, you know, and going from like a, a, an angle like this, as opposed to, I mean, when you're looking above, any kind of gesture looks like it's upward. It's kind of like lack of depth perception. And I think that you've got to take the ground level because that's what the players are working from. And so that type of CYA is really inconclusive at best. And it's more of a back the blue type of statement uh, by the officiating crews. So (laughs) I'm not a really, I'm not really buying that at all, frankly. And I kind of agree with Iowa fans on that one. Yeah. And I brought up to both men that, isn't it a factor that Cooper's left hand is the one away from Minnesota players? It's not like it was his right hand that was, yeah. and he really made one circular motion with it. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't a wave. It was a one circular motion and he was pointing with the left hand. Yeah. It was like a point, a circle while he was running and then yeah. catch, <laughs> right. spin, touchdown. So uh, I asked about that too. And it was, again, they got back to, well, a, a waving motion is an invalid signal and he he forfeits his right to return the football in that case. Here's more of what Bill Carollo said, Scott. Was it a wave versus a point to me? To me, the right arm is different than the left arm. There's a difference between a wave and a point, and that's a judgment. That's what we pay and train our officials on. I'm comfortable with what they did in this situation. You might, you might think that's kind of technical and in, about intent and i get all of that but the reality is the rule book is pretty black and white we try to interpret it and try to use common sense when we apply the rules we don't call everything a holding play even if there's a grab but we try to manage the game this is a pretty clear-cut definition of a rule that they enforced at a real tough time the winning touchdown and i also have a problem with that um you know, we interpret it and try to use common sense. I mean, is it is isn't this akin to you could call holding on every play? I mean, and that's why I'd, I feel like it's the opposite argument that he's making there because he said 
you try to apply common sense again. That's what we're trying to do. Apply common sense. Right. Uh, you know, objectively. No question. This is them talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're trying to apply common sense. And then they're trying to say we can't call holding on every play. You know, um, we see this every men's basketball game we cover where when you look at uh, the last two minutes, you know, there's the ticky tack foul versus the legitimate foul. There's block versus charge. There's all kinds of everything is in probably even more so in basketball than in football. Uh, it's judgment and it's quick and you can't review everything. And I understand that. And I think most fans do, even if it goes against your team, it aggravates you. But, but in this simple case, when nobody on the field, you know, legislated it or, you know, decided right. that it was an invalid call on the field and the players themselves did not do it either because you saw the way they attacked. They didn't let up. If they would have let up, then I think there would have been some validity to this, but they did not let up at all. I mean, Cooper, as soon as he touched that ball was attacked. And if he would have gotten hit and that would have been, you know, then maybe it's, it's a 15 yard penalty, <laughs> you know, right. frankly, um, you know, maybe they kick a field goal in the game. Who knows? But, but you know, <laughs> I, I think it, it, what we're doing is they're they're trying to say common sense, and common sense was not applied here. Because that's what I'm, that's my said, point too. Yeah, and especially when they let the play run, because the common sense that they said was applied during the <laughs> during the replay, and you know, to me, replay should be conclusive. If it's inconclusive. In any stretch, you do not, you know, reverse mm -hmm. the call on the field. And in this case, they took away, again, uh, a season-defining touchdown in in a major game that, that could have implications not only for right. uh, the division, but for the other division because, it look, you know, if there's the potential for a three-way tie in the East division, then it's going to come down to, you know, record of opponent in the West division. So that one singular play not only could define whether Iowa is the champion of the West, but it could define whether Penn State is or isn't the champion in the West. Wow. That's yeah, it could, help, it could help Michigan a lot, yeah. actually, you know, because they beat Minnesota. But anyway, um, uh, where was I going with this? So, yeah, in the term indisputable, he, uh, Tim O'Day used that term, and that's, that's the issue I had. I know there was a uh, – cited i believe it was wisconsin northwestern in 2015 or 14 yeah, right 2015 that uh you know erickson did this thing picked it up ran for a touchdown and they did call it an invalid fair catch signal called it back wisconsin lost the game but i yeah. believe they called that on the field correct that i think that is correct that's what yes. dave revson said on the on btn yesterday i trust yeah. him he's a northwestern grad he probably remembers it pretty well yeah um it was a big play because so, two, yeah. two ten win teams. Yeah, exactly. So, but that was on the field again. That was on the field. So I, uh, I don't. That's the other part I really did not like about this. That it was, um, it was, you know, determined to be indisputable by the replay official. So I want to clarify two things that I do want to give the NCAA and Big Ten credit for on this. That saying that they did clarify that. Um, all fair catch signals and runs are reviewable and kind of pointed me to some rules. You know, you look under the fair catch signals and then the rule that says what you can review invalid is under that. So I do, I do concur, I guess that 
I'll give them that, that it was reviewable. So that was my initial contention. And I also do want to kind of, I think, put to rest as much as I can um, after talking to these guys. The Tim O'Day issue I know was a big one because of he's the line judge that called Jack Campbell out uh, up at Minnesota last year. It was an incorrect call. I did ask Bill Carollo about that, um, which uh, some people didn't read the article and wondering if I asked, you know, are you ever going to ask about this? Yes. Did it's, it's wrote in the about article. it? Yeah. yeah, wrote about it in the article. Article's free. Um, the uh, he did not have anything to do with what was called. It was the replay official Ken Kelker, I believe is his name. The replay official in Iowa City made the determination. Also got that clarified was not done in Pittsburgh, as Kirk Ferentz alluded to. And then PJ Fleck was also wrong, and what he asserted was, you know, that if you call poison, it's automatic or or whatever, if you're shouting poison, poison, or whatever, you're, or Peter, he said, that's automatically, you can't pick it up, but he's wrong about that, the, yeah. these guys said to you. Anything audible, you could say, I'm not returning this, they said, yeah. and you could still pick it up and grab it. It's all yeah. about the point and wave, and they they determined a wave. So I just, those are kind of some issues that at least got cleared up, I think, yesterday. I, I feel like I don't think Tim O'Day should be excoriated for this personally. You talked to him, Scott. He, you know, he was basically reading from a piece, piece of paper, you know, so it's not like he didn't think it was necessarily indisputable, but the replay official did. So it was the replay yeah. official in Iowa City that made the call. That's who you can be mad at. Yeah. And they did consult Pittsburgh, though. That I don't know if they, yeah. that was. They, yeah. He said they consulted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure they're not ruling anything egregious. And yeah. So Pittsburgh did not overrule them. Yeah, because uh, that that was discussed at the very end, and it wasn't placed in the uh, in in my pool report or whatever. Okay. But but um, you know the the pool report itself was was fascinating because yeah, tell us uh, about that because that's really know, interesting. You know, um, ultimately the questions have to be approved first of all by the Big Ten Conference and Bill Carollo. And so the, the questions went from Matt Weitzel, who's now the on-site coordinator, to the Big Ten. The Big Ten um, determines whether or not that the official can be discussed and can talk, approves the questions. The questions have to be read verbatim. And then the, the questions were, uh, I think it was O'Day and the Big Ten requested that he receive advance um copy or whatever of the questions themselves before I was able to go in there and ask him. And so he had it kind of written out, um, you know, whether that was through consultation with the big 10 beforehand or what. Um, and he pretty much read from the, the piece of paper. I would say he was a little bit nervous, but then again, I probably would be too, if I was in his position that it was such a controversial call. And there were upwards of 25 police officers and law enforcement officials that were crowded around his locker room that they brought their cars up to the, to Kinnick stadium to ensure that they were, you know, able to get out of there without running any drunk fans or whatever. I mean, uh, eight police officials uh, escorted the chain gang to their cars. Just a lot of, uh, I mean, it was a pretty chaotic scene there. But, and then, yeah, I pretty much had to read verbatim the question. And then finally I said, I've got one more question that's not on there. And they looked at me like, what? And it's like, did you consult with anybody, um, you know, outside to get this ruling? you know, outside of the replay official. And they said that, yeah, we went to Pittsburgh like we always do. A good context there. Appreciate that. It was definitely a, uh, 
you know, an important process that, you know, and the media plays a role and, and you did a great job with that. Uh, I felt like yesterday's conversation was productive with the big 10 yeah, and NCAA. You did a good job. And thank you. And um, uh, they did say that this was, this went all the way to the top that commissioner Tony Petiti authorized these guys to talk about it. They don't normally talk about controversial plays, but they felt this rose to the point where they needed to address it. And, um, I wasn't able to, I posted the video. It was up for about three minutes for those that clicked on it, but I, I did not get permission ultimately to post that whole thing, but I did put most of the quotes in my articles. So hopefully you guys can check that out. Anything more on this, Scott? Uh, I mean, I think it'll be a rule change. I don't know what the rule change will be. Maybe it's a flag. Maybe it is like, uh, uh, I don't know. I very, 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 very rare. It has to be egregious type of thing uh, in the future to to call it. I don't know. I'm not sure what they'll do, but I have a feeling it'll be addressed. And I know Bill Carollo talked to Kirk Ferentz yesterday. I know that. So I'd be curious to know what they discussed next time we talk to Kirk. Yeah, sure. I I mean, my view is let's let's minimize any ambiguity. Let's make it cut and dry, which is if, if you raise your hand above your shoulder, any part of your shoulder, it's a fair catch and you cannot return it. If, it. if it's not above your shoulder, it's fair game. And that includes, hey, you know, if they're doing it for safety for the punt returners, I get it, but the punt returner has to understand it. And, and everything happens so quickly. That is the most, uh, you know, that can be one of the more difficult plays in football and in sports, frankly, is the, the amount of time from a punt to trying to track down the punt, to try to make sure everybody's aware of it. It's high in the air. There's the crowd noise. There's the wind. There's all these things, elements playing in play in about a three to four second period. So to me, easy is above the shoulder, fair catch. Below the shoulder, fair game. And um, and I think everybody can, everybody could probably agree to that. Um, and now whether or not this is shoulder or whatever, I, you know, that's, that, that's, you know, ambiguous in its own right. Well, Scott, this is kind of a gross week of Big Ten football games. I don't know, Ohio State, Wisconsin, maybe the most interest to us. I know Nebraska, Purdue. So why not spice up the weekend by visiting Circus Sports, the exclusive betting app of Iowa everywhere. Circus Sports is sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and the best odds. Download the app today at the App Store or CircusSports.com. Uh, Scott, we did a little a uh, little bit of what we're working on uh, in that first segment in a way with uh, me at the Des Moines Register, you at the Athletic uh, on that DG and punt return. Now let's take a deeper dive into our second meat and potatoes topic of the day. And uh, that gets in, into an article you wrote, uh, kind of the necessary end of the era for the Iowa offense. I mean, I don't know if I want to put words in your mouth here, but you wrote about that extensively at the Athletic. Uh, I touched on that also in my uh, uh, states of – of uh grieving column with anger depression and acceptance uh anger about the punt return depression about the offense acceptance uh that this is the way it is and then uh, your colleague Ari Wasserman wrote today a piece on fairness and nepotism so this I feel like this last month is, is we're going to be really focused on kind of the the Kirk and Brian Ferentz situation where do you want to start about uh, on all this stuff i'll let you oh, take wow. the take the mic here <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is uh this we're, we're entering uh you know the stretch run here of a lot of this and i think uh, based on what we saw and and we discussed you know a very controversial play for the better part of 25 minutes 
However, um, what it should not be lost and is not lost is the fact that they still had the ball at the what 46 yard line with more than a minute and a half left in the game. That's and with a strong leg kicker with the wind to his back. That's an easy opportunity to get 15 to 20 yards and, and win a game. And I was un, unable to do it. And there was really no, when you got 12 yards in the second half against a team that allowed 399 to, uh, to Minnesota or to Northwestern earlier this year. Um, this is when the, the hard questions that we always get chimed for, this needs to happen internally. And we, we've reached the point where, I mean, they have, they're averaging 232 yards a game, Chad. And that's 19 below last year, which was the worst in the Big Ten since Kirk Ferentz took over as head coach. So they're 20 yards below the worst over the last 25 years. And it's not getting better. When you look at quarterback right now, and I, it's not like I want to call out Deacon Hill by any stretch. He's a backup quarterback, got thrust in this situation. But when you're 37 and 98, it's it's time to evaluate that for what it is. And and what I feel like, and the reason why he's played more, is Kirk Ferentz tends to um, not necessarily look at a position like quarterback as what can you do for us in the plus column. It's how do you minimize the minus column. And at this point, the minus column was pretty freaking big on Saturday and looking at the blitzes that, and, and then I would also say Chad and rewatching them film. I know you did too, that not only was he struggling to the point where we've never seen before, and that includes Jake Christensen or Spencer Petrus, but the play calling and the scheme reached its deathbed. There was no going back to what you did because every Every potential play I saw, Chad, that they messed up on was schematic in nature. It, there were problems with the way it was constructed. And that goes to Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's, let's continue talking about Hill here for a second. And then I, I know we'll get to Brian. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as you said, he is... He's making mistakes, and that's always been Kirk's. That's that's where I don't quite understand this from Ference's perspective. Now they've got the bye week that was after the game. We talked to Kirk. Maybe they've reevaluated things, but according to Pro Football Focus, Deacon Hill is worst in the country at turnover-worthy plays at eight point nine percent of the time that he drops back. 8.9% of the time are turnover worthy plays. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, <laughs> I, I would think that would be a red flag. I mean, they get these metrics too, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That would seem to be a red flag for Kirk Ferentz, especially when you have a guy on your bench who committed zero turnovers in the Music City Bowl. And we're not saying you shouldn't evaluate practice, but uh, the, the other fact of the reality is. And if you, yeah, you can, on you know, whatever, take PFF grades for what they're worth. But uh, Hill is 160 out of 160 in FBS with uh, for, among quarterbacks with at least 78 dropbacks this season in rating. And the next closest guy is six full points behind. And one grade point is a lot. Cade McNamara is at 60.3. He's 139th out of 160. Yeah. Uh, Deacon Hill's uh, 38.8 so far uh, in his college career at Iowa. So 
Um, I, like you said, I, I'm at the point now, Scott, where this is n- that's not going to get better. We've seen enough of that. And he's, I saw him not being able to identify blitzes. Uh, that created at least one of the turnovers, if not or at least one of the fumbles, if not both. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. the second one was yeah. ridiculous. At your own 10-yard line, you have to have situational awareness of that. And both situations, the ball just got basically flicked out of his hand. Yes. I mean, yeah. that is that's like that should be a double turnover worthy play. It's not like he got, you know, hit from two sides, you know, crunched. Yeah. It, it was a guy swatting the ball away, like flicking the ball, like barely. Great plays by Minnesota. Smart plays going after the ball, but you gotta protect the ball, and he's not doing that. Yeah, um, the, the the second one, which did lead to the a field goal. The first one they missed the field goal, uh, but the second one, um, to me, in a microcosm, was the the problem play of everything offensively. And it was second and five at the twenty two. They had a nice first down run. They dropped back to pass, and they delayed a safety blitz with 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 uh, Tyler Newman, who's you know along with Cooper DeGene, the best players on the field. Uh, they ran a three man route. And the problem that I saw with this was you had, you had a slot and an X to your right, and you had a tight end and another tight end to your left, but the second tight end stayed in the block backside. And then, but they basically ran two verticals in the slot, who was Nico Ragaini, ran a post. So they're all running down the field, and he's dropping back, and there is no outlet receiver. There is no fire. There wasn't a fire until the, the game, you know, basically it was over with, with, uh, Caleb Johnson coming out the backside to the left. But if he's opening up to the right, which was the field side, and there were nothing, no Iowa players anywhere near in his direct visual, it was a it was a basically a one-man route to hit the X on a fly or, or a go route, and he waited. And then he held the ball gingerly with his hand. And, and Tyler Newbin, and they did this delayed blitz throughout, and it really worked for them because of Deacon Hill, not because of the line. The line blocked pretty well. And in fact, you know, going through a lot of these uh, plays, Chad, um, even the run plays that they got stuffed on, it was a numbers issue. They blocked the guys that they needed to block. It was the fact that they were playing basically, you know, blocking six on eight, which means what do you need to do? You need to play action. You need to make them pay for that. And they can't do that with Deacon Hill. He just is incapable of doing that. And on that, that specific fumble, he held the ball like an egg and it just got smacked out of his hand. I mean, it was it was a flick, as you said. Um, so I, I think this is, um, you know, if, if the reason why Deacon Hill is there is because he doesn't turn the ball over in practice and Joey Labus does, then I think it's time to flip it the other way and say, look, this is what happened. I mean, Kirk last week, you know, mentioned that, you know, somebody in the media brought up his stats, but, uh, you know, you know, the one that mattered to me was he didn't turn the ball over. Well, he just about did twice against Wisconsin, and he lucked out and didn't get it. This time around, there was no such luck, and he cost him, cost him dearly. And so, I, I mean, it, it's you cannot you cannot go forward with this at all. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I'm with you. I would, what I would do, Scott, um, I'm not kidding about this. I would make Joey Labus one, Marco Linus two, Deacon Hill three. We see that happen in the NFL a lot. It's like, okay, you had your chance, you know, it didn't work out. We need to elevate these young guys yeah. and get them 
we need to get them going. We need to see what we've got there mm-hmm. because you're bringing we think you're bringing Cade McNamara back next year. I mean, we'll have to see what all what all yeah. unfolds here this offseason, of course. But if that's the case, uh, you're either going to drive these guys out of the program and you're going to have Deacon Hill as your backup again, or you need Joe Labus and Marco Linas to be ready to be that number two guy next year at minimum. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of them – thrives and we and it's a perfect time to do it because you've got the bye week you've got an opponent coming up that's not doesn't have a lot of teeth necessarily you can i mean i view what they did with labus last year against kentucky it part of me thinks they're not capable of this scott but part of me also thinks like but we did see it against kentucky when your backs were against the wall you didn't have petrus you didn't have padilla and you made it work and you even put a wildcat quarterback back there with your best player yeah. Right. <laughs> you did all those things in the bowl game and you yeah. won 21 nothing and didn't commit a turnover. And you have yeah. the same quarterback and you've got your best player who can run the Wildcat. Right? Yeah. What absolutely. am I missing? You're not missing anything, Chad, and this is what makes it just constant bang bang bang. What are you not seeing here? That's what frustrates me is, is the coaching staff. What are you not seeing here? And th- there was one play. I took a screenshot. I'll, I'll tweet it out later of this is the reason why you need an RPO type of game. And this was a, a one yard stop to, you know, one yard loss by LaShawn Williams early in the second half. And every player from Minnesota is blocked up front, but there are two coming down and they're getting ready to, to hit where the hole is. And then you see you have a wide receiver one-on-one coverage on the left side that could just take a slant and maybe go the distance. If you just fake it, pull it out, and throw it, it's there. It's a touchdown. And Iowa doesn't do this. They don't do anything like this. And it's like if you don't have an accurate quarterback, if you don't have a quarterback who can't run the ball, what are you doing? And, you know, you're – it's, it's just incredibly frustrating to watch for us to cover it. I can't imagine being invested financially and emotionally the way that fans are. And th- to top it off, Chad, this is the second straight game your defense didn't allow a touchdown. In fact, yeah, three, three of the last four. Three of the last four because the, the Michigan State one was a fumble by, by an offensive player that went for a touchdown. They're playing their ass off, and they lost a lot of players from last year. And and to, to watch this happen going, what? You know, I looked up a couple of things, Chad. You know, one was, you know, how did Iowa State use Joel Lanning in 2017? He took 50 snaps as kind of their short yardage guy. He ran for a couple of touchdowns. He ran for some yards. He threw for a couple of passes. You know, I know Cooper DeGene putting him there is like a pipe dream, especially with Kirk Ferentz. It just isn't going to happen. But dang, if you could bring him in, you would force the other team to go, Oh no, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. Instead, you know, Minnesota had it, this thing working. I mean, it was like, it was like going against a preschool offense. Yeah. Well, here's my point, And we'll finish the offensive conversation is if you're to me, all, I mean, Brian Ferentz would need to average 36 a game to get the, 300 by the end of the regular season so that's which is funny i know but if i was going to put odds on this i would say plus 500 that he's back as oc i just don't see a path i don't see a path that beth gets would allow it 
I don't see a path that Brian would allow himself to weigh down his father anymore. Um, I don't buy the argument that Kirk's going to dig in his heels and say, uh, my son's the offensive coordinator. I'm gone. I don't buy that because I think Brian will get out of the way before that happened because Brian's a, as much as everyone hates on Brian, he's an upstanding guy yeah. and he loves his father and he's, he's trying his best. He just, it's just not working. And he has to know that he has to know that. Right. And I don't, I don't blame them for not letting him talk this week. Uh, it would have just been too uh, combustible this week. Uh, it's just, I don't have a problem with it personally. I mean, I would have liked to hear from him, but Kirk Ferentz basically said everything we needed to hear about Deacon Hill playing better in practice. I mean, that might as well have been Brian talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my point is, why not, if you're Brian now, like, why not try this now? I mean, are you really going to go down with, with Deacon Hill in your last four games? Like, is that really your plan? Yeah. I don't. I just don't see that. That doesn't seem rational to me. Do you? I mean, no. I mean, I think they might do it, but I just it doesn't make any sense. Like, why not do? Why not? change things up. You've got the bye week now. You've got not that demanding of a schedule. It's not like he's going into the horseshoe coming back mm-hmm. from the bye. You're going into a baseball yeah. stadium against a team with very few wins in yeah. the last three years. You know, I would open it up this entire week. I'd say everybody gets a chance, including Marco Lainez, because, you know, he's a true freshman. So what? He's been practicing against the, one of the best defenses in the country every week. Uh, you know, and it, you look at what he was able to do, and I know he's a true freshman, and this this is a big moment and all that stuff. Guess what? This was a big moment for Deacon Hill, and he didn't do it. He didn't do the job, and Cade really didn't either, for that matter. But that's a different story. But I think when you look at him, he's your he's your future. I mean, he's your true freshman, and he's a run pass guy. He ran a lot, and and is he going to be wildly successful? Probably not. But but really, what you're looking for right now is. Make the makeables because Deacon Hill can't make the makeables. And I don't want to diss this kid because he's, a no. you know, and yeah. I'm trying not to, but that's what the position they're putting us in because well, we're putting it on us. the coaches, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not, yeah. it's not Deacon's fault that he's right. It's the coach's decision and inability to develop, which we talked about last week, but yeah, let's put him in this spot. Exactly. And so, you know, whether it's Labus or Lanez, here, we're going to give you guys a crack. And now this week is a little weird because you're going to want to give guys like Joe Evans and YA Black and Mason Richmond, you know, a chance to heal and everything. But I think there's a chance to to say, let's let's analyze this. Let's give them a little bit more of an opportunity because you cannot go down. This is for for this <laughs> for this. I just don't see it. It just doesn't make any rational sense. And you're being stubborn to the point of, you know, you'd rather see the whole ship go down than save it because you don't want to spackle this hole because you said all along the hole was fine. Uh, Good way to finish that conversation, uh, Scott. Um, Let's move on to uh, one more thing. Unless you have anything else. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this all day. Yeah, we could. We could. Um, Let's try, I guess, lighten it up a little, which is not necessarily going to lighten it up, but – um, this Michigan spying case, uh, stealing signals or stealing signs, uh, scouting opponents in person, which is illegal or NCAA illegal, uh, is, is really flaring up, uh, seems very, very serious at, at this point, Scott, uh, I know your colleagues at the athletic have written a lot about this. Maybe, um, I'll just 
turn it over to you here. What what do you make of uh, what looks to be very very serious situation here? Um, yeah, because if you know everyone's signs, uh, kind of makes sense that you might be able to win a lot of games. Yeah, the the, the what you can do is if if I'm videotaping strictly the sideline in every game and I'm seeing them go like, let's say, you know, raised fist and I'm, I'm doing it like defensive signal, this, you know, like this, be like say strong side half coverage or cover two type of thing. And then all of a sudden you, you plug in that video with the all 22, which has the over the top, which has the side, which has everything. And then you could just see, okay, this is the sign for this defense. This is the sign for, and then likewise for offense. And you, and you have your analysts analyze it and say, okay, here's this, here's this, here's this. And then during the game, if you're, okay, they're calling this, then you know what's coming and you can stop it. And, and that's, that's cheating. That's, that's like, allowing the batter to turn around and look and see, oh, okay, it's a one, it's a heater, it's coming, you know, or banging on the drum. And the, yeah, and <laughs> it's a Houston Astros situation, it exactly. is. Exactly. You know, but the Big Ten is in a tough spot too because how, mu- how many of these games literally were decided because of their signal calling? You know, I mean, how, in the Minnesota game, they did it, but, you know, 52 to 10, I mean, is what is it going to be, 48 to 10 instead, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I And – you know, this is Big Ten's needs to win a championship. And if they're their be- best team, do you really want to take your best team out of the lineup? I mean, it's kind of to me like, I'm not saying you overlook it. I just say you continue to investigate it all the way through the end of the year. And then at the end of the year, find a way to say, make sure Jim Tarbot doesn't come back. And then, and then penalize them, you know, after the season. That's probably the best way you could do it because at this point, it's, it's kind of in a tough situation. Well, it does put um, a major question mark over what they've accomplished in my mind. Um, I mean, I view it as a pretty, I assume most people try to like figure out signals. Maybe they don't. I mean, uh, try to gain competitive edges, but it seems like this was a really sophisticated, a guy with a military background, uh, intelligence background, even, um, you know, buying tickets to games, allegedly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if they have videotape evidence as, as I've seen reports uh, of this guy who's got a great name. What is it? Connor Stallions. That's his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be a joke there somewhere, but, right. um, but, uh, how does it, I mean, Iowa played Michigan, Scott, each of the last two seasons and obviously, 42 to three, that was probably not going to come back no matter what. But, um, you know, you and I both have some information uh, that we believe that Iowa was made aware of the fact that Michigan was stealing signs back before the the 2021 championship game with not enough, with not enough time to react. I should just put it that way. And so that, you know, uh, they were doing it then is, is what we believe. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, were. so it kind of stinks, kind of yeah. stinks if you're hungry. I mean, you've, you know, you wouldn't want that. I mean, even if you're going to get beat anyway, just, you still don't want to, you don't want that to be part of the game. Just like we talked about the punt return stuff. You just don't want like, you want just results, justified results, justice. You want justice in your sports and uh, you know, it's, I, I don't like this either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want, it, it should be a sportsman like venture. 
you know, and there's a lot that goes on that's that straddles that line and grays the line. But I think in some cases, this is probably one too far. And maybe the Iowa uh, Michigan game for 2021 wasn't going to the outcome, I don't think would have changed. The points might have changed, but the outcome didn't change. The one thing that could, though, has been the week, you know, the week before with Michigan, Ohio State, which Michigan seemed to thoroughly dominate. Well, how much did they know? And how did they find it all out? And how much of that was the factor? And same thing last year against Ohio State when it was, what, two versus three or something like that in the country. Those are the things that you wonder about, um, the close games, the calls that go one way or the other. And, you know, this is this is not on the up and up. And there have been enough scandals involving Michigan over the last couple of years that you're just like, really? You know, is this the way you want to go out? So, uh I, I think this should be thoroughly investigated. I don't like it at all. And, uh, and again, you know, but the big 10, what do you do? I mean, if they're your best team and you need to win a championship here, do you just let it go, continue to investigate until the end of the year? And then, okay. Once the season's over with, uh, make sure that, uh, you know, they magically have another coach and then maybe they withhold their bowl revenue or something like that. That's probably the way it'll go. Were you, you, what do you think about this? I mean, at this point, do you think it's they cease doing it? They have to, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and by, you know, Ohio State certainly has time to change its signals yeah. between now and the, the game. Right. Well, so, and, and, and you don't have any helmet to helmet, you know, conversations or whatever. And that's the problem with like the pros do. Right. And you can't do that here. And so if Iowa finds out a couple hours before a championship game that they know everything, it's not like they can all, you know, go to a different set. You know, it's not like baseball where somebody's on second base and then you, you change your pitching signs, you know. So right. it's, it's really, uh, you know, it, it, it's really classless, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, Scott, it was great. I'm glad we could do this early in the week. I hope you enjoy your uh, uh, your bye week. Uh, I'm going to try to do the same. And, uh, you know, our lives are wrapped up in college football, but we do look forward to getting away and having a little bit of rest. Uh, I think everybody needs a little bit of decompression time after that Minnesota game. Yeah, I think we just need some mental time away. You know, that's, in my case, unfortunately, looking at the leaves in my yard that I'm going to have to rake up, but but at least it's mental. It's not, it's not you know, it's, at least mentally I'm away, physically I'm doing something. So, But but we do have to say goodbye to Floyd of Rosedale. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, the pig is in his pen, I saw, in Minneapolis. Yeah. Yep. Right next to the axe for the first time since 91 that he's – Wow. Uh, and uh, they still have to play for the axe in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> they can lose that too. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, well, thanks, Scott. I uh, yep. appreciate you. And I'll see you sometime. Yeah, see you next week. Yep, sounds good. Until next time, for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico. We'll be back in our regular time next Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios to help gear you up for Iowa Northwestern and maybe Noah Shannon's, Noah Shannon's return to the field. Right here on Legends and Listeners on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa everywhere.